Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, Lord, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful, Lord, that we can study it and read it and come to know you through it. We do pray that you'll enlighten our minds and our hearts as a result of our being here tonight and reading your word. In Yeshua's name, amen. We're going to start the book of Hosea today. We're reading from chapter 1. Uh, we'll be reading chapter 1, most of chapter 1, not all of it. Uh, so starting in Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Berry, in the days of Uzziah, Jothan, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So uh, Hosea prophesied for quite some time. And, uh, and so here on our chart, we see, uh, we see the different kings. We see Jeroboam in the north. So he prophesied to both sides. He prophesied to the king of Israel, Jeroboam, and his long reign. And he also prophesied in the time of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And so four kings of Judah he prophesied during. And the one king in Israel, Jeroboam, he prophesied to. I don't know why he doesn't list the other kings in, um, in Israel that, uh, that were also obviously alive during some of these kings in Judah. But he only mentions Jeroboam in Israel and then also to the southern uh, kingdoms kingdom of, uh, of Judah. And so he prophesied to both. And that's unique. Most of the prophets prophesied to one or the other. Uh, but Hosea obviously had influence. God called him to prophesy to both. And during most of the time, of course, in the north, Israel, you know, not following God. Most of the time in the south, uh, Uzziah uh, served the Lord. Hezekiah served the Lord. But there was a short period of time between those two kings where the two other kings, Jotham and Ahaz, came along where they were not serving the king. And you see on our little blue line there, there's that little dip uh, between those two. And so God then used Hosea to prophesy to them to try and get them back on course. So in verse 2, the Lord said to Hosea, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry in departing from the Lord. And this is, you know, it's just so amazing, you know, that God would ask somebody to do that. that God would ask one of his prophets to do that, to take a wife uh, who was a harlot. And uh, we know that uh, the Levites are not commanded not to do that. Uh, and so here God is asking his prophet to, to take a wife who is a harlot and children of harlotry. And so, so maybe a wife who is already has children who she had in her harlotry, and to take them into his home. That seems to be the indication there. And he's saying do this because he wants it to be an illustration of God, how God is still married to the harlotry of the children, of, of, to his children, the people of the Lord, and how they are committing harlotry, or how we are committing harlotry against him. And so he wants Hosea to enter into God's suffering, in a sense, so that we can kind of picture a little bit how God feels about it when we are not following him. And so if any of us can, hopefully none of us have experienced that, but if any of us could imagine being married to someone who is, who is not even just adultery, but, but harlotry, um, and uh, how heartbreaking that would be. 
Um, and so that's how God feels when we don't follow him. How, our, how his heart breaks under this. And so he has Hosea live as an example of that. In verse 3, Hosea took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore a son. And so they have a son together, Hosea and Gomer. And the Lord said, call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. I will break the bow, the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So Jehu, four kings prior, uh, whom God prophesied would be the king through uh, Elisha, um, and he does eventually become king. And Jehu goes and he takes out all the wicked house of Ahab and Jezebel, and he ends up having four, four children, his successors. Uh, his kingdom lasts for four, uh, four generations, including his own. And here is coming to the end of it. God is going to, Jeroboam is going to be the last one of the house of Jehu. He's being prophesied, he's going to put an end to it, and, and then he's going to start another dynasty. We've seen Israel went through many dynasties. Judah, Judah only one, kingdom of David, same dynasty the whole time. But, uh, but Israel in the north, uh, and it gets really messy from here on out. Uh, and so uh, God prophesied that that's what Jehu was going to have, just, just uh, four generations, and sure enough, now we're coming to the end of that, and Hosea is just confirming what was prophesied before. And so then she conceived again and bore a daughter, and God said, call her name Lo-Rumah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. They will be saved by the Lord their God, not by bow, nor by sword, battle, or horsemen. And so, could you imagine naming your kids these names? Jezreel, because there's going to be bloodshed. And name you Little Mercy, uh, because God is not going to have mercy on our wicked sins. I mean, imagine that, you know, calling these kids for dinner. You know, <laughs> hey, Little Mercy, Jezreel, you know, uh, come to dinner. But, uh, and then growing up with that constant reminder of being called that by the kids in school and everything, you know, having that on your, on your books, you know, no mercy. <laughs> Oh, hi, little girl. What's your name? No mercy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, okay. You're sorry. <laughs> but, uh, and names really have an impact on us. Uh, they've done studies of that. Uh, what to name your kid uh, will often reflect back on them. But he says he will have mercy on Judah, and he will save Judah, but not by Judah's own strength, not by the bow, or the sword, the battle, or horsemen, but the Lord will save Judah. Will stay in, step in, and he will do his mighty work through Judah, because the Messiah has to come through Judah's line. And thus he does. And so when she can, had weaned Lo Ramah, she conceived and bore another, a son. And God said, call him Lo Ami, for you are not my people. I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. So again, another child being born, another horrible name, not my people. Not my people. You are not my people. Hard. Hard childhood. You know, brothers and sisters living this way. Difficult. But this is what Hosea uh, had to go through. Could you imagine as him, as a father, calling his children that? 
yeah, you want enduring names, loving names, you know, and, and parents will pick out the names for their kids and they will you know, try and pick out a nice name and then they will, will often come up with little nicknames, you know, for the kids uh, because there's so much bonding that takes place in that. Uh, and then here he's got these names for these kids that uh, you're not my people. Oh, tough name to be, kid constantly be hearing, not my people, not my people, wow. No mercy, no mercy. Jezreel, when there's going to be bloodshed. Because there's going to be bloodshed there. Tough, tough life. But this is again what God enters in. And God looks at what we call ourselves. The names that we put upon ourselves. I'm not just talking about our birth names or our, you know, surnames or anything like that. But what we end up referring to ourselves as the characteristics that we take on, what we are named by our lifestyles, what we are. God looks at our, his children and his heart breaks when he sees us falling short because he wants to put his name upon us. We've been stamped with Satan's name. We've been stamped with the curse. We've been stamped with a carnal nature. Thus we are selfish. You know, we really can't separate the character from the person. And so if we are being selfish, then we are selfish. And then that becomes our name. Like at AA, you know, they go in and they say, I am an alcoholic. Right? It's identification. So our lifestyles identify who we are. That's why in heaven the Bible says that God's going to give us a new name. He's going to place his name upon us. His identification. And maybe no mercy will become, be called mercy. In heaven, I hope so. And the characteristics that God places in us, our unique characteristics, that, I believe, is what our names in heaven will be. The lives that we lived out for him. What he did through us. How he transformed us. And that's what he wants to call us. Kindness, loving, or patient, or merciful one. So we'll have these names for us. And each one will have our own name, a unique name. Obviously, God's vocabulary will be larger than, than our limited one now. That's what God wants to do for us. He wants to take our name and change our name by changing who we are, by changing our character. And it's not done by the bow or by the sword or by the spear or in battle. But it comes from the Lord. The Lord's miraculous power to change us and to transform us. God's miraculous work. In taking who we are, how we're born with our carnal characters. We have unique ones in that as well. Not only the ones we inherited and, and then are born with which go all the way back to Satan himself. But the ones we learn, we pick up. We pick up from our parents and, and those around us. In schools, you know, we herd the kids together in school and put 30 five-year-olds together with one teacher. Well, who's having more influence? The one or the 29 others, you know? And then our kid comes home with 29 other characteristics that they picked up. And then year after year, the things, that, so the things that we learn, things that we gravitate to, 
And then the experiences that we have that mold and shape our thoughts. Things that happen to us that cause us hurt and cause us pain that we choose to get angry about or that we choose to worry about. And if we dwell on those things, they become part of our character and our name. And God wants to change us and call us faith. Call us trusting. Surrendered. He wants to change our character. What name is upon us? What name is written on our record books? Is every single aspect of our life covered with the sacrifice of the Messiah? That God can place his name, his character upon us. That's what he wants to do. The Bible names mean their character. God wants to place his character into us. Stamp his name. And if we are professing to be followers of him, we have his name upon us. And if we are professing to be following him and have his name upon us, and we are not living that life, then we are taking his name in vain. And breaking the third commandment. But as we take his name and take his character into us, by his grace, by his power, by allowing him, because of what he did on Calvary, allowing him to die and take our nature, take our character, take literally us upon himself and kill the old man, we allow him to place his name, his character, his life, in us and through us. So, his, his, so his life begins to be worked out in this flesh. And that's the beauty that God wants to do. That's the salvation that God wants to do in each one of us. Changing us and transforming us. And that's what he calls Hosea to do in loving Gomer. In showing love to Gomer, God has showed love to us. Because while we were yet sinners, while we were yet harlots, while we were against him, he loved us. And called us. And drew us unto himself. Oh, the beauty and the mercy and the long-suffering of God. while we were yet enemies of his, defaming him and rejecting him, he called us and married us. And we will bear children onto ourselves. Whatever characters we manifest, it will have an effect upon others, for good or for evil. That's how important that we allow God's character to take control of our lives. And then he says, yet even though he will have no mercy on his people, and I will not be your God, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. How can that be? How can he not have mercy? How can he not be their God? And yet how can he still fulfill his promise 
that we shall be numbered as many as the sands of the sea, which cannot be numbered or even measured. I mean, we live here, you know, surrounded by beaches, surrounded by water, on all sides of this peninsula. I guess that applies twice, both for Florida and for Pinellas. And there's lots of sand there. So that could be our project this week. Go down to the beach and start counting, counting, counting the sand and see how many we can come up with and see if we can get to an accurate number. And we can multiply that and just do a, a little survey, right? So just take a, a little square, measure off, you know, foot by foot or whatever, and just count there. Keep digging down until you get where there's no more sand. And count all that are in that square. And then we'll figure out the, the square footage of the earth and we'll multiply your sand by that many and we'll have the number of how many sands there are on the, uh, on the earth. How is he going to fulfill that promise? That's the beauty of God, but he is going to fulfill it and we'll come back to that in a few more verses. Verse 10, in the place where it was said, you are not my people, there it shall be said, you are sons of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head and they shall come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. They already told us once that Jezreel is going to be the slaughter. There's going to be bloodshed. Name your daughter that because I'm going to destroy Israel there. But also out of Jezreel... Great will be the day of Jezreel. There'll be one head that will gather all the number that is more than all the sands of the sea gathered together through this one head. Amazing prophecy here in the book of Hosea that God does not lie. Thus, it has to come to pass. That there'll be a uniting that will multiply to make God's children as many as the sand of the sea with one head appointed for ourselves. Verse 24. Even us whom he called, not the Jews only, okay, now Romans. Romans... Paul quotes this text that we just looked at in Romans chapter 9, verse 24. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. So Paul takes this prophecy of Hosea and applies it to the Gentiles that are being reached for the Lord. And then in a couple chapters after that, in Romans 11, he says, For if the first fruit is holy... The lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, 
so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree, he's talking to the Gentiles, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. So he begins this analogy of this olive tree. So after quoting this from Hosea, he then starts this picture of this olive tree. And he said, the root is holy, and so are the branches, yet some of the branches are broken off. And you are grafted from a wild olive tree into this olive tree, among them and with them. Among who and with who? Israel that did not get broken off. The branches that remain. Because how many of the branches were broken off the tree? Some. Only some. Doesn't even say many. It doesn't say most. It certainly doesn't say all. So the branches that remain, the branches that remain true to God, remain part of the tree. And as the Gentiles were brought in, they are grafted in among them and with them. So we've got the Jewish believers in God and the Gentiles believers in God being grafted among and with. And both together become partakers of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. For if you were cut out of an olive tree which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So he says these, even the ones that got broken off can be grafted back in. Because if a wild olive branch can be grafted contrary to nature, in nature, when you're grafting, you don't take a wild, you don't take a, a crab apple and graft it onto a good apple to try and make the crab apple branch good. That's not how it works. You take a good apple branch and you graft it into a crab apple root and it becomes a good apple tree. And the same for oranges. You don't take a, a wild lemon, sour lemon, and graft it into a good olive tree and that branch becomes sweet. No, it doesn't work that way. It works the other way. You take a sweet apple branch, graft it into a sour wild lemon uh, root and the tree then is sweet from that part on. So he's saying contrary to nature God's going to take a wild olive branch and graft it into the holy and the holy is going to make that wild olive branch holy as well. Because if the root is holy then the branches will be also. So that's contrary to nature but that's what God does. God does everything contrary to nature. God does the miraculous. It's our world naturally that's upside down. That's so why we look at things from the natural mind and we look at things uh, around us to try and understand God, we'll, we'll get confused because this world is backwards. This world is the rebellious planet. And so God turns it upside down and does the miraculous and does the change. He changes us when we're grafted into him. And then verse 25, I do not desire that you should be ignorant of this mystery Least you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel 
until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. So he talks about a blindness in part taking place, but not in full, but in part taking place. Until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, then the message to the broken off branches will come, come back, and they will be able to be grafted back in as well. Because blindness was only in part, it wasn't a full blindness, it wasn't a full cutting off, but only a partial blindness. And we'll see Hosea talks about that partial blindness in chapter 3, when we get to chapter 3 in another week. Hopefully by next week. And so right in harmony, Paul and Hosea talking on the same line here. But this blindness in part takes place until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And then all Israel will be saved. So let's take a look at this. In Romans 11, 26, he says, all Israel shall be saved. And then in the chapter before it, between chapter 9 where he talked about you are not my people, but you will be my people. In chapter 10, he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so between those two verses, the consistencies shall be saved. And then in the blue there, we have all Israel and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. So which is it? Which will be saved? Will all Israel be saved? Or is it whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord that shall be saved? Yes. Both. Whosoever all Israel is. Exactly. Both because they are saying the same thing. He's saying exactly the same thing. It's kind of like that we see in the Psalms a lot, this Hebrew poetry, where he says two different things, or says the same thing using different words, but with the same meaning. And so all Israel is whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Where did the word Israel come from? came from Jacob. Well, not from Jacob, but started with at the time of Jacob. Jacob, what does Jacob mean? Deceiver, tripper-upper, right? Because he, he's grabbing onto his brother's heel. His brother's coming out. He says coming out of the womb first, and Jacob's got him by the heel. Now, if you want to take someone down, I don't care how big he is. I, I played uh, football in high school years and college years. No. Not, not with a team, but you know, just out in the, in the you know, grass lots and stuff. Uh, but I can take down the biggest kids, you just grab them by the legs. I was low anyway, so I just go for the legs. <laughs> just dive at the legs. You, know? you dive at the, the shoulders, they'll just carry you to, to, the, to the end zone with them. <laughs> you know? But you grab the two legs together, they're going down. You, you, you know, they can't run, you got both their legs. You got them shackled. And so he says, so he's grabbing his heel, he's a tripper. He's tripping him up. You know, he's making him fall, he's deceiving him. And that's his name. That's what again, talk about names. Jacob, I, I mean, uh, uh, Isaac, he must have thought this was cute. You know, calls his name, calls his son deceiver. But what does the kid become? He becomes a deceiver. Right? But then God takes his name, takes his character from being one who trips others, who manipulates others, who takes advantage of others who is selfish and conniving, and he transforms him. And since he transforms him, he has to change his name. And so he transforms him and he changes his name 
to Israel. So he says, you will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. And then God defines what the word Israel means. He says, for as a prince, you have overcome with God and with man. And so the definition of the word Israel, a prince with God, or an overcomer with God. And so, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, whosoever overcomes through the Lord's strength, becomes a prince of God, child of God, God as king, children as prince, is all Israel. Thus all Israel, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. So let's look at this in a picture here. So we've got the root and the trunk of the tree. And that represents the root and the stem. And the root and the stem is Yeshua. Right? He is the root of Jesse, as the Bible says, the Messiah. He is the root of Jesse. He's the offspring of Jesse. Uh, he uses analogy, not with analogy. He uses a, an analogy with a vine. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Right? So, so he's both the stem and the root. Right? With those two texts. Then we got some branches. So we got the Jewish branches, those who were not broken off, those who were part, those who believed. And then we have the other side of the tree, the Gentile branches. And when they're grafted in together, how many trees do we have? One tree. With one appointed leader, Yeshua the Messiah. And thus the whole tree together, one tree together, all Israel, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, whosoever who is grafted into the Messiah, whosoever is connected into the Messiah. So it's not by birth, birthright, not the Jews by themselves. You can take those branches, I mean, those branches that got cut off of the root. Do they live? Can a, a branch live without being attached to that? No, it dies. So it's not by inheritance, because the Jews that were chose to be broken off, to be cut off, they lose their connection, they lose their life, spiritual life. And so it's still by choice for both sides. And thus become one. And as it's one olive tree, doesn't matter anymore whether it's male or female, whether rich or poor, or slave or, or bond or free, or Jew or Gentile. It becomes one tree grafted together into that one tree. Because Paul says that contrary to nature, he takes the wild olive and grafts it into the root, and it becomes a good olive branch. The miracle that takes place. God's miraculous transformation takes place. Thus, it's not identifiable from the other branches because it's the root that makes the branch in God's economy. And so as we're connected in Him, we partake of Him. We drink the nourish from Him. His sap then flows through us. His life then flows through us. And He lives His life out of us. 
Right? Paul just told us that the wild branches grafted in don't remain wild anymore. As we are grafted into him, we don't continue in our sinful lifestyles, but we are transformed. And as he transforms us from the inside, the change begins to take place. Will those branches be producing bitter olives or good olives? Good olives. And that's what God does. God does the miraculous. So the olive tree is Yeshua, the Jewish people, and the Gentile people all together. Thus, it becomes as many as the sand of the sea. Through the one appointed one that unites it all. That unites the Jews and all who call upon the name of the Lord. All who become overcomers with the Lord. All who become princes with God. And who really is the ultimate prince with God? Yeshua. The son of God. The prince of peace. He is the ultimate prince. And thus, as we unite with him and are grafted into him, he then calls us brothers and sisters, and thus we become united with him and partake with him. Thus we become princes with him, because of him, through him. Jacob couldn't change himself. God changed Jacob. God turned Jacob into Israel. We can't change ourselves. Not by bow or by sword or by battle or by horsemen. God's miraculous transformation as we choose to allow him to. As we choose to be surrendered to him. As we connect into him. As we lay hold on him. As we eat of him and drink of him like the branch eating and drinking from the stem and from the root as we connect with him, with one head, just as Hosea said, they'll be united together with one head. And be many as the sand of the sea through that one appointed head, through Yeshua. So there'll be many as the sand of the sea that cannot be numbered. Because if when Yeshua came to this earth and fought against Satan, if he would have lost, what would he have lost? He would have lost everything. Well, what's everything? He loses the earth. What else? Us. What else? Our salvation. What else? Our joy. Bigger, bigger. His position. What was his position? His authority. The ruler of the universe. the universe. The entire universe would have come under Satan's sway. Ten hundred billion galaxies. Yeah, right. Yeah, counting today, they got ten hundred billion galaxies. And in every galaxy, there's ten hundred billion stars and planets, right? So you got to multiply those together. And that's all the only ones that we can see right now. There's probably no doubt more than that. And they are under no, this is the only one that's under curse. Satan's been cast down to this planet and only this planet. This is the only one that's under a curse. But all the rest, because you see, in that battle between God and Satan, Satan put on the table, you know, we're going to battle this out. 
Winner takes all. What did Satan have to offer? I'll give you the earth. What God put on the table? I give you my throne. I give you the universe. Not quite a fair bet, right? But when you compare how really unpowerful Satan is compared to God and how powerful God is, I guess that was an equal uh, offer. And so that's what was on the line. So because of Yeshua's life, death, and sacrifice that took place here, this is where the battleground was, and still is, from his victory, he remains ruler over the entire universe. If he would have lost. Thus, all the other angels and seraphim and different kinds of angels, and if there's any other beings that God has created throughout the universe, all of them owe their lives, their existence, their salvation to what Yeshua did here. Thus, Yeshua's children will be as many as the sand of the seashore. See, because if we just look at it just from this one earth, well, even all believers down from Adam and Eve down to the last one, I don't think would still account to all the sand on the sea. But when you bring in all the account of all the beings in the universe, all of God's creation, which number thousands and tens of thousands, just the angels, thousands and tens of thousands and multitudes beyond number. Then we can get to that number of the sands that are on this one little dot of a planet, which we are really small in comparison to even some things in our little solar system. You know, beyond our little solar, we're tiny nothing. And thus God's prophecy is accurate. And that's why he said to Abraham, and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob, that your seed will be as many as the sand of the seashore. Because it's again through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through David, that the Messiah comes. And the work of the Messiah as the appointed head that makes salvation for the entire universe. Life for the entire universe possible. Not that the rest of the universe has to be saved, they are already saved, but that they didn't lose it in the battle against Satan. The beauty of God's word. And God is still at work. And wanting to work in the here and now. And work in our lives. In changing us and transforming us and changing our names into his name. That's why maybe he has so many names in the Bible. Because his character is so broad and so big. He can't be limited to just one. And he wants to bestow upon us his spirit, his characteristics, his life, his fruits, the fruits of his spirit, as we connect with him. And so as we pray tonight, God was to open your book, and he does want to open your book tonight, and willing any time to open your book to you. He was to open your book. What name is written there? What characteristic is there? What name would he be calling you? What nickname would he call you? Or are others calling you? Or what nickname does Satan have a right to call me or you? Because we are partaking in his actions, yielding to his temptations. Right now, God wants to change your name. 
God wants to transform us. He wants to move, do that miracle. He wants to take us to the wild and graft us into him and transform us. And again, even Jewish Nicodemus needed that happen to him. Need to be born anew. Has to happen to everybody. Because technically we're all wild by nature. So allow him to do that in you and through you. What type of offspring have we been producing? What type of fruit have we been producing? What type of children have been following our example? Have we been following for good? Have we been sowing good seed? Have we been a good example? What will our children, I don't just mean physically birth children, but whoever we influence, what names will they have? Are they no mercy? Are they the valley of blood? Oh, and an interesting thing, it said, well, great will be the day of Jezreel. God will even turn that bloody Jezreel valley because in that Jezreel valley or coming up out of that Jezreel valley is the city of Nazareth from which the Messiah came. Thus, great will be the day of Jezreel because the Messiah came up out of, in a sense, the Jezreel valley up out of Nazareth. So God can transform that as well. So we've been burying children in the Bloody Valley and Jezreel Valley or, or No Mercy or people who are not following God. God can change that and transform that as well. And take those who are not my people and make them my people. We can ask God to change and redeem the time and save the lost and counteract any bad influences that we've had, no matter how far back. God convicts you on something somewhere in the past where we've been a bad example. Let's ask God to cleanse it and cleanse the influence that it's been upon the children of harlotry that we've produced as we united with Satan. Yielding to his temptation in speaking wrong words in doing wrong actions in being wrong examples. Let's accept the cleansing blood of Messiah and thirdly, if it's one if we have a bad character name and, or if we've been a bad influence. And third, if, if we've had animosity or against whoever else, we don't see ourselves as one family, that God's wanting to create one family united together in, among, and with each other. If you felt like there's divisions, if you felt like a holier than thou, as Paul talked about, that, oh, well, they were broken off and so I'm grafted in now. Either a putting down of the Jews or a prejudice against the Gentiles or against any other group, subgroup in this world. We think we're holier than anyone else. Because we're Americans or because of whatever. Even because, well, we're believers. Not better than anyone else. God wants to graft, wants to bring his truth to everyone that all might believe, and he wants to make us one. Under one head, under him. That's the only thing we have to glory in, in what he has done, and what he has done for us in the past, in his death for us, and what he is doing in the present, in us and through us. 
And so if any of those areas apply to you, or maybe something else that God is impressing you on that you need to be praying about, that you're needing from Him, some grace or some, something from Him, some power or some need, so we pray together. Let's surrender and re-surrender and recommit our lives to Him, to be grafted and fully grafted into Him. So we pray together. <coughs> our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, I'm thankful in your great love you saw down through the ages and you gave us these amazing prophecies that so clearly pinpoint you, that so clearly describe you. We looked at just a few tonight, but there are so many others. Thank you, Lord, for being real. Thank you for living. Thank you for being able to promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Your salvation with assurance. Thankful that we have brothers and sisters, as many as the sands of the seashore, beyond number, because of your work in our behalf. Lord, forgive us if anything on our record, any name that would be a satanic name, anything in us that would be a horrible characteristic, washes clean, cleanse our names, washes clean, and write your name upon our hands, upon our foreheads, upon our thoughts, upon our actions, in our heart, write your name, place your name in us. Lord, forgive us for wrong influences. Forgive us for ways we've misused your name, times we've been hypocritical, the times we have not been the best example. Let override those where sin has abounded, May your grace much more abound. And may our offspring not follow our example, but learn from it. And be transformed closer to you by, by your mighty work. Change us and transform us. And Lord, remove out of us all haughtiness and all pride, all prejudice, all hatred, all animosity. And make us one in you. Humble in you. Move all the self-exaltation. All the being put on a, on a pedestal. May we humbly, meekly walk trustingly, dependently upon you. In Yeshua's holy name. Fill us with your glory. With your character. And unite us with you. Yeshua's holy name.